37, Genesis chapter 37. I want you to stand with me, if you would, for just a little bit. Genesis chapter 37. Oh, honey, I love the fact that you love your church. I see you're wearing that. That's it. Genesis chapter 37. And uh, do not take for granted good music. Uh, where we're going to be going this afternoon to, to uh, minister to uh, the church up in Loveland. Uh, they're a new church plant, been there a year celebrating that, uh, but they don't have musicians. That's okay. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I remember the early days. I remember turning around and hitting a CD player. Anybody know what CDs are? You guys know what CDs are? <laughs> and, and hitting the button, and then I'd lead the music because someone had recorded some, some hymns by piano. Uh, but I never want to get to a place where we take for granted sheltered place to meet, functioning bathrooms, Good music, you know, the Word of God, all that stuff. So uh, let's be grateful. Amen? Uh, Genesis 37, look if you would at verse number 18. I'm going to talk again about dysfunctional... I'm not really going to talk about dysfunctional families. We're going to read about it, though. Uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse number 18. And when they saw him, talking about Joseph, and they is his brothers, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came nearer to them, they conspired against him to slay him. Now, I don't have to read everything else about this family. That alone should tell you we got us a problem. <laughs> All right? Uh, th- this is a problem. The brothers want to kill their, their little brother, little brother Joe. They want to kill Joe, right? They, they want to kill Joseph. And, uh, and it says in verse number 19, they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see... What will become of his dreams? You can almost see like someone with like a gnarly mustache kind of doing this and twirling it, right? Like they're concocting this plan. And in verse number 21, when Reuben, he's the oldest brother, when he heard it, he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him. Can you imagine me like, no, let's not kill him. We got a better idea. Let's throw him in an empty pit. Like this is a weird family, <laughs> Uh, they got some issues. Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And you kind of notice the lengths to which God goes to describe where he's at. He's as far down as you can go. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us... I mean, so far they went from let's kill him to no, 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 let's just throw him in a pit. Now let's make him... Let's sell him into slavery. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, verse 27, for he's our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. It's almost like this is the moral compromise. Let's not kill him. He is our brother, after all. Let's just sell him into slavery. <laughs> I mean, uh, man, this is rough stuff. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen. They drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned in the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And 
He returned to his brethren and said, The child is not an eye. Whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him, Joseph, into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. I want to point you to verse number 24 one more time and just remind you that where we kind of find Joseph at this point in his life is about as far low as you can go. And yet, for those that know their Bible, you know that Joseph comes out on top. And I think we all acknowledge that and we see God's hand in that and I do not want to take away from that. But I want to show you some things that Joseph did to come out on top in the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, Joe, since we're preaching about you, would you go ahead and open us up in the word of prayer? Amen. Please be seated if you would. If you don't know the story of Joseph, it's an interesting one. And there's no doubt that he's his uh, father's uh, beloved. He's sold, uh, uh, sold out by his brethren. His, his brethren envied him. Uh, matter of fact, he is the person in the Old Testament that, that more often is a picture of the life of Jesus Christ than any other Old Testament character. Uh, Joseph is envied by his brethren, sold out by his brethren, thought by his brethren that he's dead, and then by the end of the story, it's almost like he comes back to life to his brethren. Then he has to reveal himself to his brethren, and they didn't realize who he was when he first shows up. It's a lot like a a picture of Jesus Christ. Joseph is a very interesting character in the Bible. And by the way, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, he's the main character by the end of the book. It starts off, you know, obviously in a garden with Adam and Eve, but by chapter 12, it's about Abraham, and somewhere in the the early 20s, it becomes about Isaac, and then eventually it becomes about Jacob and, and Jacob's sons, but Joseph is the one that stands out. Joseph is the one that, that we see in this passage is left for dead. He's sold into slavery. And as far as his brothers are concerned, he is dead to them. It's like he never even existed. Now look, we've all been uh, neglected by people, we've all been forsaken by people, some of us have been forgotten by people, and maybe at times you even feel like you've been forgotten by God. Let, Let me ask you this though, don't you want your story to end more like Joseph's? 
I mean, in the end, he comes out on top, but here in this chapter, he's nowhere near the top. How does he get there? I've seen some people that God has blessed and and have pressed through adversity and and, and made it pass. And and part of it is this. They don't choose bitterness when they could have chosen that. Uh, Maybe a loved one has passed away. Maybe you're experiencing a loss. And there's that tendency, that that human nature that kicks in and says, God, if this is how you're going to deal with me, then I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to harden my heart. I'm going to get bitter. I will not forgive. I will not forget. And then that that moment and that choice, that's where everything changes. And God could have made a beautiful story out of it. And it stops right there. Joseph had that choice. Now look, you may not be familiar with the scriptures, but can, can, I, can I give you at least this much? Look at verse number 25. Look at verse 25 in this chapter. He, here his brethren, while Joseph is in a pit. Now, the Bible doesn't say what Joseph does when he gets there, but let's just take for granted he's a young man. More than likely, he's screaming to his brothers, guys, get me out. Guys, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I mentioned the dream. Guys, listen, this isn't right. Guys, just one more chance. And as he starts to cry and those tears roll down, his brothers are eating lunch like they don't even care. And then those Midianites come and they take Joseph. And and listen, I did a little bit of math. I'm not a math major, but it was a couple hundred miles from Dothan. Now listen, I did look up originally Dothan to Egypt and Google was trying to take me from Dothan, Alabama to Egypt. I knew that wasn't right. All right, that, that was way off, right? There was Dothan in the Bible, Dothan. And, and, and from Dothan down to Egypt, it was a, a few hundred kilometers, a few hundred miles. Here's what I know. On camel, that would take a while. No roads. Going through the desert. Can you imagine being taken captive as a slave? And you've got hundreds of miles going through the desert to think of ways to get back at your brothers. To think of why did God let this happen? God, I thought you were showing things to me about my life. God, I thought that dream was about me. Lord, I I don't understand why you're letting this happen. God, why would you design my life to go this way? Why don't you get... You'd have a lot of time to think about why God did you wrong. You'd have a lot of time to think about how you could get back at them. The Bible says, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby many be defiled. Paul says it this way. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. The hatred and the bitterness and the desire for revenge is a very human trait in 2022. You know how I know that? You express that just in Denver traffic alone. Let alone your relationships with others. When someone does us wrong, the Bible says of Jesus Christ, they smote him and he smote back not. They esteemed him, they they smote him and he did not respond. That is my Savior. He was smitten and he was abused and he was mocked and yet he opened not his mouth. That is different. And let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus Christ himself was literally put as low and as forgotten and as forsaken as anybody else. Yet he himself comes out on top, does he not? When they're talking bad about you, when they're slandering you, when they've attacked your character, when they turn their back on you, a typical response is what Absalom does when his sister is taken advantage of, he kills his brother Amnon. You see, what is that? Just human nature, revenge. 
Joab kills the captain of the guard of Massa. You see, human nature. They did me wrong. I'm going to do them wrong. And yet, let me just say this much. That is not at all how you come out on top as a believer. And listen, this message is not meant to be some kind of self-help, psychological babble thing. It's not about you coming out on top in your career. It's about you coming out on top in your walk with God, having peace, having joy, having the fruit of the Spirit in your life, doing something that matters with your life rather than sitting down and ignoring the world because you're bitter about what someone or what God did to you in your life. Joseph didn't allow that to be him. Jesus didn't allow that to be him either. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know how he did that, but he did. Can I say this? That was a choice. He didn't have to do that. And you've got choices to make. And if your life is perfect right now, and there's nothing wrong, this message is going to be like, oh, I don't get it. Life's good. It's coming. Some of you are like, well, thanks for cheering me up, preacher. (laughs) The Bible says man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. You will have trouble, and oftentimes that trouble will come from other people. And oftentimes you'll be tempted to go, how can I get back at them? Or you'll be tempted to go, God, why would you let this happen? And the problem is this. You don't see where God wants to take you because you're in chapter 37 in the moment of your life. I've seen people that come out on top and people look at them and go, must be nice. You have no idea the adversity they fought to get there. (laughs) I love that. Wish I had that. You don't know what they went through to get that. People looked at Joseph at the end of his life and thought, man, must be nice to be Joseph. You don't know Joseph's life in chapter 37 and chapter 39 and chapter 40. All you see is the end. You see him on top and you go, man, must be nice to be Joseph. Yeah, but what did he have to do to get there? And let me just say this much. God wants your life to end out on top for Jesus Christ. But you choose whether or not you end that way or not. And Joseph had choices to make. Listen, I don't want to take away from the hand of God in in Joseph's life, but I do want to say this. God worked because of Joseph's response to what happened in Joseph's life. I read this, and somebody says, I want to read you, they are not all by saved people. All the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles and obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. You know who said that? The guy that made Mickey Mouse a reality. Walt Disney. Well, he's not a saved man. and And yet, here we are, saved people, not recognizing how scriptural a thought like that is. Success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome, Booker T. Washington. When one door of happiness closes, as it did in Joseph's life, another opens, but often we look so long at the closed door that we don't see the new door which has been opened for us. Joseph could have stewed and Joseph could have gone to Egypt and Joseph could have said, you know what, this stinks and this isn't my fault and I did everything right and all I did was tell him about a dream that you gave me and I told him what you showed me and look where I'm at. But he didn't do that, did he? Look at chapter 39 with me if you would, chapter 39. Look at verse 1. Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, Captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. 
And the Lord was with Joseph. You mean God can be with me when I'm in slavery and servitude? Yeah. And he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw, look at verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. And he served him. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had put into his hand. And then look if you would at verse number 7. It came to pass after these things. Now look, it looks to me like in chapter 39, things are taking a turn for the better. I mean, kind of like, okay, things were bad. I got sold, thrown into a pit. They were going to kill me. Okay, I escaped that, thrown into a pit. Uh, then I was going to be left for dead. Well, thankfully, they sold me into slavery. I guess you say thankfully. And then here I am. And now I'm starting to see that even though I'm in servitude, God is still with me. And not only that, but the people around me are noticing that the Lord is with me as well and that God can bless my hand even in bonds. And then in verse number seven, it takes a really weird turn. Because Joseph is a good-looking guy. You too. But the master of Joseph's house had a wife, and she noticed him. Look at verse 7. Look at what she says. And I want you to, to understand, this is where it gets real interesting. Imagine that you've been sold into slavery, neglected, forsaken by your family, And then this gets thrown at you. I'm going to say this, number one. If you want to come out on top, be like Joseph. He was consistent in his walk with God. Look, if you would, at verse number eight. Verse number eight. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what You know what I see in Joseph? It doesn't matter if I'm in Egypt. It doesn't matter if my parents are hundreds of miles away. It doesn't matter if no one from church is around. It doesn't matter what else is going on. I'm going to be who God's called me to be regardless of my surroundings. You know what Joseph was not? Joseph was not a chameleon. He was not a Christian on Sunday and blending with the crowd Monday through Friday. Joseph was Joseph because he recognized God was with him. It didn't matter if he went back to school or his family thought different or the world around thought different. You know what Egypt is? Egypt is a picture of this world. You don't want to get your morals from Egypt. Man, your moral compass should come from here. And just because you are in a different surrounding doesn't mean that you should change who you are. God did not call you to be a chameleon, to blend in with the crowd. Well, when I'm with this crowd, I act like this. When with church people, I say, yeah, I'm blessed. Amen. Hallelujah. And when I'm with this crowd, I kind of blend in with that. And we, you know, if they smoke stuff, I'll smoke it. If they drink it, I'll drink it. If they say this, I'll say it. That's not what you're supposed to be as a Christian. You want to come out on top? Be who God has called you to be, regardless of who's around. You know, I see in Joseph, a man that was consistent in his walk with God. He did not change based on his surroundings. You know what Egypt is associated with? Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember when Lot is looking at what land he wants to take? Remember we talked about that greener grass? And he's looking over there. Does he not say to himself, man, it's well watered just like the land of Egypt. You say, why, why, why is that important? That's where he got his wife. You see, Egypt, once you give Egypt a place in your life, it's hard to get rid of it. 
And Joseph recognized that. The mixed multitude that was complaining, the land that God said he would not leave his son in, it's all connected to Egypt. The, the place where manuscripts come from that change all the words from your Bible, it's all from Egypt. You know what it is? It's a picture of the world, and God says, I have called you out of Egypt. He says to Moses, you have all the learning and understanding of the Egyptians, but I don't want you to live that way. I want you to refuse that, and I want you to suffer with my people. And that's what made Moses who he was. And now Joseph is being tested. And Joseph is being tested with something that young men struggle with, with his lust. And Joseph is away from home. He's got no parents around. His church ain't there. He's all by himself. But do you know who's with Joseph? God's with Joseph. So even if nobody else knows, God knows, and Joseph saw that God was with him. You want to come out on top? Be consistent in your walk with God. Don't change who you are. Look, if you would, in verse number 20 of this chapter. You see what happens? Well, he refused her. And I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. All right, here's the Adrian version of what happened. Hey, Joseph. (laughs) Nobody will know. And Joseph says, yeah, but God would. And one day they're alone in the house. Red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Parking right here. Red flag, red flag. Don't be alone with someone from the opposite sex because it's going to be really hard to not do things you shouldn't do. Can I get a witness? All right. So, so there, there they are in this house by himself. He didn't do it on purpose. He's just doing his job. And she knew he would be there. So she goes after him and he goes, no way. You know what he does? He, man, he books it out of that place so fast that he leaves his coat behind. The Bible doesn't say resist youthful lust. It says flee from it. Run for your life. I can handle it. No, you can't. No, you can't. You know what Joseph does? He runs for his life. So she grabs his coat and says, okay, I know how to do this. Hell has no fury like a woman's scorn. I've been rejected. I don't like this. And she starts screaming at the top of her lungs. And you know what word she uses? He says, I've been taken advantage of, and Joseph did this. He tried, to, he tried to take advantage of me and twist the story. Look at verse 20. You know where I'd like the story to go? I'd like the story to go. The master comes back and realizes his wife's been manipulating him for years, and she's an awful woman, and he throws her into prison. Amen. End of the story. <laughs> but it's not how it goes. You know how it goes? It goes like this. Well, I believe my wife even though against my better judgment, I know who she is deep down inside, but I would lose face if I dealt with it the right way. So Joseph gets thrown into prison. Why did he, why did he get thrown into prison? For doing the right thing? Wouldn't you get a little bitter at that point? God, I, all I did was say no. All I did was what I thought you wanted me to do. Why am I in prison? The master took Joseph and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Can I point something out in verse 21? Joseph's not alone. The Bible says the Lord was with him. You know, here's the problem with you, and it's the problem with me. When there's prosperity, it's easy to go, yeah, the Lord's with me, like he had at the beginning of the chapter. But sometimes recognizing that the Lord is with you in the prison a different matter altogether. Joseph was able to recognize God's with me. God's with me. God likes showing up in prison. Do you know that? I'll be honest with you. 
I've preached in some churches and I've walked away going, I'd rather preach in a jail. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You know why? Because they're dead as a doornail in the church because all they want is to get their 30 minutes in so they can do this and go and wait and do their own thing and live like they were living before and nothing changed in their life and don't disrupt my schedule and let's go to lunch and let and just da, 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 da. and then the prisoners sitting there going, I got nothing else to do. Let her rip, tater chip. Go ahead, preacher. You want to preach for two hours? No problem. You want to preach on my sin? No problem. You want to tell me I'm going to hell? No problem. But people come to church all dressed nice and, come on, preacher, you got 30 minutes. Bless me or else I'm never coming back. Hey, God shows up in prison. Do you know that? Over there in Acts chapter 16, there's a man that goes, what must I do to be saved? God showed up that night. Can I give you this thought? The Bible says in James, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Why do you suppose God keeps showing up? Do you think it's a coincidence? Or do you think because in Joseph's situation, he keeps going, God, I need you. God, I'm not going to blame you. God, I'm struggling. Lord, I need thee. I need thee every hour. I need thee. And the Lord just keeps inserting himself into the story. You notice that? But the Lord was with him. Can I say this secondly? Look, if you would, at Genesis chapter number 40. I want to point something out in verse 1. It came to pass after these things, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was wroth. So he throws these two guys into prison. And I want you to see what it says in verse number 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he, Joseph, served them. Can I say this secondly? He kept a servant's heart the whole time. You know what's hard to do when you've been abused and you've been mistreated and you've been neglected and you haven't been treated right to go, you know what? If this is how it's going to be, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to serve them. I am done. You know what Joseph could have said? You'll have to kill me before I serve anyone right now. You know what he said though? You guys need something? Oh, okay. You guys hungry? Okay. You guys, you know what that is? That's someone that comes out on top. You know why? Because God blesses servants. The best leaders I know are people that serve. Go with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. The greatest man that ever graced this earth with his presence, Jesus Christ, was a servant. He is my example. He, aren't you glad he served you? Aren't you glad the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister? Aren't you glad he didn't say when he's on the cross, you know what, this is dumb. They're not going to listen anyways. They're not going to change after I save them. Why am I going to do this? This is a waste of time. I'm glad he stayed up there. Glad he shed his blood for my sins. You say, why did he do that? Because he was a servant. Look at John 13. See what's going on here, Last Supper. Can I ask you a question? If you're Jesus, and you know that one wants you dead, Judas, one's going to deny you, Peter, and then the rest of them are divided. Because you know what they ask each other during the Last Supper? Uh, hey, Lord, all that death stuff, yeah. So anyways, um, which of us is the greatest? If you knew one wanted you dead, one's going to deny you, and the rest were divided, wouldn't you kind of feel like a failure and go, man, what have I spent the last three and a half years of my life doing? I am done with these people. There is zero hope for them. One wants me dead. One's going to deny me, and they're fighting over who's the greatest, but I'm thankful that he's not like you and me. See what happens in this passage. Look at verse 4. 
He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Can I ask you a question? When you're not being treated right, do you not find it hard to serve others? Can I say this? You ought to serve anyways. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. It's not even natural. What Jesus does, I would say, is super natural. It is beyond the scope of natural man to go, look at what they're saying about me. Look at what they're going to do with me. Look at what they're doing with each other. And yet I'm going to stop. I'm going to push away from the table. I'm hungry. I want it. I'm, I'm thirsty, but I'm going to push away from the table. I'm going to gird myself with a towel. I'm going to get down to their feet. I'm going to wash their feet. And then the silence that just hushed that crowd of disciples as in they're in the middle of that argument about who's the greatest, it just comes to a screeching halt and no one says a word. And all of a sudden, they're looking down going, huh, what's he doing? And deep down inside, their conscience and maybe the Holy Spirit begins to say what you should have done. You know what Jesus Christ did? At the hardest hour of his life, he served others. You want to ha- come out on top? You want to have victory in the Christian life? Learn to serve your wife when you don't want to. Learn to serve your husband when you don't want to. Learn to serve your children. And children, learn to serve your parents. And, and ch- church, learn to serve each other when it's not convenient. I, I'm not trying to use this as a means of manipulating or anything like that. But maybe God said, I want you to take a meal to James and Debbie. And, and you're like, yeah, but I'm busy. Aren't you glad that when God was busy doing what he was doing, he thought about you and still made a way for you to get saved? Yeah. See, what is that? That's a servant's heart. Joseph had it. And Jesus had it. The Bible says, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 40. Peter says it like this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one another and be clothed, be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know what that means? God wants you to come out on top, but the way to get there is by humbling yourself first. And in that prison, when it was not natural, and Joseph probably deep down inside didn't want to serve anybody else, and he could have said, I've been abused, I've been neglected, I've been forgotten, God left me here. He said, okay, how can I serve you? You know what I see too much in this generation? <laughs> Gotta get the right angle, you know? You take a picture of a girl and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That one is, the, 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 the angle is just terrible. Makes me love it. Look, look, man. Listen, if you're that worried about it, then don't even take one. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, there have been times where, because I've got lots of girls in my house, where it's like, no, not that one. I'm like, is that you in that picture? Well, yeah, that's me. Then let it be. <laughs> we live in a generation, though, where it's all about me, and look how many followers I have, and look who's paying attention to me, and look how I matter. I matter because I'm followed. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is about following Jesus Christ and serving other people. It's hard to do sometimes. Genesis chapter number 40. Look, if you would, at verse number 8. Genesis 40. Verse number eight, pick it up in the story. And the Bible says, they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream. There's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, 
Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Look at verse 23. He interprets a dream. Guess what? The guy forgets about him. The guy, is, the guy is like a boyfriend at summer camp, girls. I'll never forget you. I won't forget you either, right? And then like two months, it's like, who's that? I don't even know, man. I don't. Right? So the, 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 the guy that gets the dream interpreted by Joseph is like, man, I won't forget you. I'm going to remember you. And the Bible says he gets forgotten again. But what you don't realize, look at chapter 41 and verse 1. is that while he served those men and met their needs and ministered to them, it would eventually open a door to stand before the mightiest man in all the land. Did Joseph know that when he did that? No. He was just serving because it was right to serve. Well, they forgot him. Yeah, for a season. Can I show you something? Look look back at chapter 39. Look at verse 22. Some of you are like, Pastor, we got to go. You're going backwards in the Bible. That's not good. (laughs) Just bear with me. Look at chapter 39. Look at verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. You know what he was? He was busy. He didn't let himself become idle in his thoughts about how he'd been abused and how he'd been neglected and how he was a victim and how the world's against him. He said, you know what, God, you give me breath today. You give me life today. Who can I serve? What can I do for you? Shall not be so among you. Whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. I read this. The end of all knowledge should be service to others. That's good. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Leadership is service, not position. Have you ever had a really bad boss? Not in the church. You don't mean that, right? Okay, all right. You know, I've learned this, that the worst bosses are people that never serve right when they had a chance. The worst dictators are people that never follow. They can never serve. They can never submit and just go, you know what, I'm here to help you. I wonder how many opportunities to come out on top are lost because the spirit of service isn't there, because you got bitter as soon as things didn't go the way you thought they would. Chapter 39, look if you would at verse number 9. Don't worry, we're not going too far back. Some of you getting scared. Look at verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me, but they talk about the Joseph talking to his master's wife, and look at the very end of the verse. How then can I do this great witness and sin against who? Look at chapter 40 and verse number 8. Do not interpretations belong to who? Look at verse uh, uh, number uh, uh, 23 in that same chapter. It looks like he's forgotten, and maybe in that moment he was. But can I say this? He remembered God. Number three, he remembered God when he was forgotten. You know, if if you're going to do anything that's going to matter in this life, it's going to last in this life, going to endure in this life, and have eternal value as a believer, you're going to have to remember God when you feel like other people have forgotten you. You know what Joseph did? He saw God when he was being tempted. He saw God in the prison. He saw God in the opportunities to serve. He even saw God when he was being forgotten by others. The reason you know that is because in the very next chapter, he gets an opportunity to open his mouth about God to the mightiest man in all of the land. Who, by the way, listen to me, Pharaoh thought of himself as God. 
So when he gets an opportunity to tell Pharaoh, let me tell you what your problem is, sir. It's God that will give the interpretation. And what that means in so many words is, you, sir, ain't God. See, what are you trying to say? He remembered God when he was forgotten. Can I say this as well? He witnessed to those around him. Look at chapter 41 and verse number 16. Chapter 41, verse number 16. This dream that troubled Pharaoh in his mind after the, the man that was in prison with Joseph remembers, oh, in so many words, he literally says, my wrong be upon me. That's old way of saying my bad. He says, I forgot Joseph. This guy can interpret dreams. He gets him in front of Pharaoh. Look at verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. <laughs> you know what he's saying? All the good stuff that I have, all the good stuff that's in my life is because of God. Look, if you look at my life and see my families together, you see any blessings I have, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's not because me. It's because he's so good. He's been so good to me. He saved my soul. And he had an opportunity to tell Pharaoh, hey, if you want help, we got to go to God. Can I tell you about him? You want to come out on top? Witness to those around you. He said, it's not in me. I bet you if he could tell Pharaoh this whole story, which he doesn't do at this moment, but you know what he could say? I was raised in a home that loved me, but my brothers were envious, and one day they threw me in the pit, and they sold me into slavery. And I was in Potiphar's house, and I was trying to do right, and his wife came on to me, and I said, no, I got thrown into prison. Then I, forgot, I got forgotten by the butler, the baker, the candlestick maker. I got forgotten by that guy. And, and, and then I could just see Pharaoh going, if your God's so good, why did all that happen? And I could see Joseph responding, so I could stand in front of you right now. So you forget about that. There's a lost world that doesn't know anything about your God. And when you're going through trouble, all you can think about is, why is this happening to me? You ever had a flat tire? And you're like, cursing and swearing. And, and then the tow truck guy gets there, and it's like the Holy Spirit goes, talk to him. And you're like, I don't want to. And the Lord did all that just so you could talk to someone, maybe because you were so busy, you weren't taking time to do it on your own. And God goes, there's no one else in this city that would open their mouth for me the way that you could. Can you, can you talk to this guy? See, you want to come out on top? It's not all about getting what you want in the moment. It's about being who God has called you to be regardless of the circumstances. And so here's Joseph talking to the mightiest man and all the king of the world, the king of Egypt, the modern world at that time. There's no one more powerful. And the reason he has the audience with him is because of all the garbage that he's gone through. And he's gone through it with the right heart, with the right mind, with the spirit to serve others. And now he's got this opportunity to open his mouth. And guess what? Because he did things right up to that point, he was in the right frame of mind to say, I got an opportunity to witness for my God. I am going to take it. And he did. David says, I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. And I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wonderful works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy 
greatness. You know what David is saying? I will be a witness for my God. Even when things don't go my way, I want this generation to know there is a believer in him standing here right now and I'm here right now because of his goodness. Do you not ever just wake up and go, thank God I can see and thank God I can move and thank God I can eat and thank God there's food in the cupboard and thank God I've got a car and thank God for my wife and thank God for my kids and thank God for saving my soul and thank God for the assurance of eternal security and the spirit of God inside of me. Do you ever just wake up and say, God, instead of asking for 10 more things, I want to praise you a little bit. Do you know why Joseph was able to speak up for his God in that moment? Because Joseph chose gratitude over complaining. You want to come out on top? Maybe do that. Say, why? Because God's good. Not when you get what you want. He's just good all the time. David says, see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Uh, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name. As Brother Eric said, when you sing those songs, you know what's amazing about some of you? Some of you go to a ballpark, you go to a football game, go to a concert, and you will shout and lose your voice and come to church. And when you're singing, you're come. I don't want to look like a Jesus freak. This would be the place to do it. You'd be with friends at least. And let me tell you something. Maybe God wants you to practice here so when you get out there in front of Pharaoh and in front of all of Egypt, you've got something to say. And you can witness for him. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. Man, I wake up sometimes. Sometimes I'll be honest with you at night if I can't sleep, I'll walk into my kids' rooms and I'll watch them breathe. And I'll think about all the sins that I've committed and all the things that God could exact judgment on, and he doesn't, because his mercy endureth. You pray for a child, and you pray for a child, and you pray for a child, and then God gives you a child, you're like, oh, Lord, that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> but we go to the, go to the ultrasound, and baby's healthy, and mom is healthy. I don't deserve that. The Lord is good. And you pray for that child, and, you, and you, you see the goodness of God, and you see people getting saved, and you go, man, God, you're good. You're still saving souls, and, and the Spirit of God moves in this place, and you're still alive, and you're still talking to me. And Lord, your work matters, and God, I, I just, I just want to say thank you for being who you are. And man, that gratitude, if it continues to build, eventually it will come out no differently than your bitterness does in life. And it did for Joseph. See, what happens after this? Well, eventually his brothers show up. Look, if you would, at chapter 43. Joseph's been witnessing not just to Potiphar, or not just to Pharaoh, but he's been witnessing to the steward of his house. You see, how do you know that? Because in chapter 43, in verse 19, it's the steward of Joseph's house that's talking with Jacob's brothers. But look what he says in verse 23. He says, peace be to you, fear not your what? How did that Egyptian know anything about their God unless Joseph was talking to him? Look at chapter 45. We're skipping over some things. Chapter 45. Can I say this? We're just about done. He saw God where others would see men. You want to come out on top? Don't just see what people are doing. Look at what God's trying to do. 
Notice chapter 45, look at verse number 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save you your lives by a great deliverance. So now, look at verse 8. It was not you. It wasn't you. Yeah, man, but we're the ones that threw you in the pit. We're the ones that sold you into slavery. Yeah, I know, but it really wasn't you. You see, God was using your foolishness to get me here so I could save your sorry carcass. Amen? <laughs> That's the Adrian version. That's what I'd want to say. But, but you know what Joseph says? Look, look, the reason that, that, that this all happened, you think it was all about you, but guess what, boys? It's not all about you, and it's not all about me. It's about God. You know what Joseph could do? He could see the hand of God working where oftentimes all we see is what people say and what people do and their intentions rather than stepping back and going, God, I, I, I can't believe this all happened, but Lord, I'm going to trust that you're working this out for your good and for mine. The Greeks said in Jesus' time we would see Jesus. That's a, that's a good thing to ask for. I just want to see him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John see Moses and Elijah. The Bible says after they lifted up their eyes, they saw Jesus only. I wonder how often our lives' stories come short of getting to the top because all we can see is what people are saying and what people are doing. The old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You ever think maybe sometimes people talk bad about you and you go, man, that's not true. That's not true. Do you think maybe sometimes God allows that just so that you can learn how to respond the right way? Well, you don't know what they've done. And, you know, I don't. Well, you don't know what they... No, I don't, but I can tell you this much. They did far worse to Jesus Christ and he responded a different way than you and I do. Someone said this, I'm happy because I'm grateful. I choose to be grateful. And that gratitude allows me to be happy. Can you look at what's going on and go, God, you're behind this. I trust you. Let me give you this in closing. Look at chapter 50. Last chapter in the book of Genesis. I saw an illustration of this earlier this week, and I thought I'd give you at least the mental picture. Imagine I'm holding a thimble in one hand, and then I've got a, a bucket in the other. And then imagine next to me is a 50-gallon drum. You know what that thimble represents? The things that you control. Like your attitude and your response to life and your response to God. And whether you'll take your toys and go to another sandbox when God doesn't play the way you like him to. That's what you control. You don't control other people. You don't control the stock market. You don't control what God does. You control very little in this life. And the problem with so many of us is we're control freaks and we want to control things that aren't intended for us to control. Here's this thimble. Here's this bucket. This is what you can influence. It's a little bit bigger than a thimble, wouldn't you say? And you can influence a lot of other people and a lot of other things. You can be a blessing to your church. You can influence others to be grateful and go through trials the right way. And I, I've watched some people in this church do exactly that. They have influenced others. And then there's this 50-gallon drum. You know what that is? That's the stuff you can't control, nor, you can, nor can you influence them. You say, what is that? That's out of your scope. And here's the problem. We're always trying to swim in a 50-gallon drum. Well, we're not intended to be at all. God goes, here's what I intend for you to control Focus on that. All right, Lord, how can I control this the right way? Well, I'll tell you this. Stay 
in your lane. Acknowledge that you are not God. And that God does a better job at this whole life thing than you can. Look at Genesis chapter 50. Look what Joseph says. You say, what happens? Well, <laughs> daddy dies. And uh, anybody here ever have like a grandma or grandfather that like they were the hub of everyone getting together in the family and then once they die, things change. Anybody ever experienced that, right? So Jacob was the hub. He dies. And now the brothers are kind of talking among themselves going, okay, now that daddy's dead, what is Joseph really going to do to us? It's a valid question after what they did to him. And then Joseph hears this grumbling, and he goes, he goes, are you guys serious? <laughs> the second mightiest man in the land. If I wanted you dead, you'd been dead. <laughs> Look what he says in verse number 19, chapter 50. He says, fear not. Here, here's where revenge has to go by the wayside. For am I in the place of God? Vengeance is you know what the Lord says? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know what Joseph said? I'm not God, and I'm not going to start trying to be now. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, verse 20, you thought evil against me. But God, but God, two of the greatest words in the English language, but God meant it unto good. At some point in your life, you may feel like Joseph if you want to come out on top. Maybe you're going through something right now. You want to come out on top? Be consistent in your walk with God. Maintain a servant's heart. Remember God in everything that's going on. Witness to those around you. See God's hand where other people would just see man. And can I just give you this in closing? Stay in your lane. God is a lot better at the whole God thing than you and I are. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray that you would speak to your people as the musicians come, Lord, as the piano's played. Lord, it's, we're thankful for the opportunity, Lord, to open up the word of God and hear from you. God, I pray as every head is bowed and every eye is closed that this would be the time where there's a stillness, not just in the room, but in their hearts. And Lord, that you would move your people. Lord, if, if you want them to do some business with you, that they would take advantage of this time, Lord. And or would you, would you help us to be more like Joseph? We need your help for that. God, we want to, in the end, regardless of how we feel right now, we want to, we want to come out on top. Well, that's literally what Joseph does. And Lord, he starts off in the worst position for it, but he makes it there. Or would you help us to be more like Joseph? Or maybe there's a matter of bitterness that needs to be confessed. Maybe there's a, a matter of control that needs to be let go of. But God, whatever it is, I pray that it would be resolved today. Lord, I know you gave us this story in the, in the Bible, this historical account for our good. And Lord, I pray if anyone's here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today they might be saved. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but if the Lord's dealt with you, the altar is open. Maybe it's not so much some bad thing that happened to you right now. Maybe there's just some things you need to let go of. As long as you hold on to those things, you will never... Can I say this? You can't carry your living room to the top of a mountain. 
And if you're going to get to the top for Jesus Christ, you can't carry a load of bitterness and a load of unforgiveness and a load of looking back in the past. You can't do it. You've got to let go of it. God wants to use you like he used Joseph. You determine how far you go. That choice is up to you. And God took Joseph and brought him to the very top when he'd been left at the very bottom and he wants to do the same for his children today. We determine how far up we go. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I primarily spoke to saved people today. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I say it like this? You're headed down and God wants you to go up. See what I mean by that? Well, our sins have a penalty. There's a punishment for our sins in a place called hell, and God doesn't want you to go there. I encourage you, if you understand that you are in your sins and you desire to be saved, Jesus Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again so you wouldn't have to face that penalty yourself. So he could take your judgment and you could take his righteousness. It's a great deal. If you're here and you don't know what it means to be saved, can I, can I encourage you before you leave today, find someone that can open up a Bible. I'd love to show you. There's others here that can show you how you can be saved and know that you have eternal life. What a shame it would be to come to church, to open up a Bible, to sing songs about Jesus, and to walk away lost. Christian, can I ask you a question? Are you Joseph? Or do you kind of blend in with whatever's going on around you? Earlier this week, I was invited as the president of the staffing association, invited to, to drinks and all that good stuff. You got, you got to be there. You're the president. Well, I won't be. <laughs> Sorry. You can kick me out if you want to. <laughs> you say, why? I don't want to blend in. I want to stand out. We're made to stand out. Joseph stood out. It cost him. But eventually, he winds out on top. I pray you can take these lessons and practically apply them to your life this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. For those going up to the pageants, uh, we'll have a quick lunch somewhere around here and head up there and get up there as soon as we can. Try to be a blessing to that church family. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Again, thank you for coming our way, especially those that drove a long way to get here. We really, really appreciate you doing that. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Kidan if you would close us in a word of prayer, sir.